0: This is Jamila Richmond Edwards. I'm a visual artist based in the DMV from the 7 Mile of Detroit and you are listening to Studio Noise.
1: Yes, it's the noise, the noise, the noise. You're making sculptures, you doing paintings, you're doing ink drawings, you're making paper mache models, like whatever it is you're doing, that, that is the noise, the sound of creation, and we love it, baby. That's right, it's Studio Noise Podcast, sponsored by NBAF, National Black Arts. Uh, They're doing MBA, MBA forward over and, you know, giving away money to people that need it right now. All working artists. Uh, Make sure you go apply. They do several cycles. Uh, They've been handing it out. It's good. Good things. So I think it's five thousand dollars. which you know, that ain't nothing to shake. A, <laughs> ain't nothing to shake a stick at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So head over to NBAF.org and go check them out. Make sure you keep it up. Appreciate the support. And so this is Studio Noise Podcast. It's your favorite art podcast, you know, everything that you like. Great contemporary artists engaged in great art conversations. Uh, Only difference here is everybody's dripping in melanin all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Because black people do art. Black people make culture. We talk about it right here on The Noise. It's your boy, Jay Barber, printmaker, third year grad student, professor. Uh, at Georgia State University. And, you know, your girl, Jiggy Jazz, is out on assignment. She's been on assignment handling business. Shout out to her. Uh, You know, so right now it's just me and you all summer long. I I made a deal. I'm going to keep it rocking. Keep bringing out these interviews. And y'all engage with me in conversation over at Studio Noise. That's why we got the Studio Noise question of the week. So this week, uh, just a real simple question for you. Um, How are you doing? I mean, that's it. Like, how are you doing? Like right now, it's a lot of stuff going on and you should always check on your strong friends, right? The people that that think they um that present like they're doing all right, uh, that they don't need no help. Check on your people, yo. So I'm checking on y'all right now. Right. So head over to the Studio Noise Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. You'll see the graphic up there with the question of the week. And, you know, just comment and let me know how y'all doing. Like, it's rough out here. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, uh, you know, I've been going through it like everybody, you know, quarantine, quarantine blues and all this good stuff, you know, fall in and out of activity every once in a while. Sometimes just want to eat chips and eat cookies and watch Netflix because, <laughs> you know, I love Netflix, you know, what I'm saying, uh, you know, and you just get into some of these moods sometimes. So you make sure you reach out to people. Right. Make sure you get the lean on your community support because we all love you. We want you to keep going. We're going to make it out of this thing. Right. So the news came through that my school system with my kids is going all virtual. Uh, so we got to prepare for that. Uh, um, I don't know about Georgia State. I'm pretty sure Georgia State might end up doing it too. these numbers is out here looking crazy. Uh, all y'all be safe, man. Wear y'all masks, social distance, wash your hands, all, all you know, all the precautions. Uh, they. They. It's not a political podcast, but our stupid Georgia governor is out here suing our mayor because she wants to um, make sure everybody wear a mask. And he, you know, kind of, I want to say he don't give a damn. I don't want to go too hard. (laughs) It's a political podcast. Like I use this podcast to try and get away from the madness right now. I don't know if y'all feel the same way, but I'm really trying to like contain and find something that brings my life joy. So that's what I'm trying to do and not get uh too worked up about everything. So but I I want y'all to know, head over to the graphic at Studio Noise podcast and let me know how y'all doing, yo. Cause I want just want to make sure y'all okay. Let y'all know your boys here for you. Uh we engage the conversation and uh it's a it's another good one for you today. So I hope y'all enjoy it. I hope it does give y'all a little respite uh in this whirlwind that we in. Hopefully uh it'll all be over soon. <laughs> Hopefully. Anyway, today on Studio Noise, we got a great guest for you. Another great conversation. Uh, this one's a little bit more intellectual. It's a little different. Usually bring an artist up here. Uh, you know, we wax poetic about their artwork and inspiration and practice. We're doing a little different now because I've been following Dr. Christina Cleveland on Instagram for a little while, and she's a activist and public theologian. And she is has some amazing ideas and is very, very, very smart. And so... She has this idea about the visualization of the divine, right? in In terms of how do we envision God, and how we envision God affects how you relate to your faith. And so, I thought this was a fascinating uh, conversation that she was having. It's all based in on her book uh, that I read, Prepare for the Interview: Christ, Our Black Mother Speaks. I I super (laughs) apologize. I said the name wrong in the interview. I was so excited to have her on the podcast. That I I was just flubbing all over the place. I I, <laughs> I calmed down in during the interview uh, and really got into a groove because uh, she has so much to say and she's so smart. I really didn't want to embarrass myself <laughs> having her up here, but it worked out and we had a great conversation. And she was on one of her beautiful nature walks. She hear birds <laughs> in the background. Uh, and it was it was a fantastic conversation. So I actually can't wait to bring her back on so we can talk more. But you got to listen to this one first. So this one we're talking about the image of God. Like, what does it look like to envision God as a black woman? And what is the implications and the means and how does society respond to it? So it's a it's an intellectual conversation that we have today, but it's awesome. I promise you, you'll love it right here on the podcast. Right after the break, we got Dr. Christina Cleveland. On the noise, Joe do appreciate it. We're gonna be all right, (laughs) y'all. We're gonna be all right. yes It's your boy Jake Barber. I'm back with more studio noise. I got a special, super special guest with me today. Miss, Mr. Why am I saying Mr.? I was trying to say doctor and said Mr. I'm sorry. Uh, we got Dr. Okay. Dr. Christina That's patriarchy. Cleveland. It's
0: all over the world, <laughs>
1: all over. I'm dripping with it already before we even get started. <laughs> it's Dr. Christina Cleveland on the podcast. She's an <laughs> a- activist and public theologian. Uh how you doing? Welcome to the podcast.
2: I'm well, thank
0: you. Thank you. I'm I'm in northern New Mexico right now. Writing it's like a really magical um sacred place to write. And so that's where I am right now. I'm in Santa Fe today.
1: That's what's up. I caught on one of her sacred walks mm-hmm. as <laughs> she does. We talk yeah. about all that in a little bit. Yeah, so uh yeah. thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And I wanted to, to talk oh, to I'm you. Honored to you about like um just what i see and know about you in the deep dive i did on you and um usually on the podcast we bring on artists and you know art um related people and talk about art related issues but i think you have very interesting work and i and i really feel like it's something worth talking about and that people need to hear about and that's when you're talking about the visualization of a god and kind of what that means mm. uh, and how you mm-hmm. relate it to mm-hmm. um, the Divine Mother kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to get your mm-hmm. words wrong, <laughs> but I do <did> want to <laughs> no, like, you're you're yeah, I, I want to introduce that. So I, that and a lot wow. of this is coming from um, your book that you have available on your website,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: Christ Our mm-hmm. Black Mothers. Um, let's talk mm-hmm. talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the foundation of that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm black and I've been black my whole life, Um, but I was raised in America, white America. So even though um, I was raised in a black home, I was raised mostly in black church spaces. um, My conception of God was always that of a white man. And part of it has to do with just the fact that those images are everywhere in our society, even in black churches. Um, And even right now, you know, I'm, I'm walking in Santa Fe. And I see Our Lady of Guadalupe Church, which is an historically Latinx and indigenous church. And there's a white Jesus out front, you know? And so it's like, no matter where you go, you can't avoid these images. And also it, the idea is even bigger than in church, right? I mean, it's like, even if you look at a coin or a dollar bill, you see the words in God we trust printed right next to a white man. You know, and so there's just all these ways in which our society sets us up for this idea that God is a white man. And as a black, black girl growing up, that was always so alienating to me. God felt so far. God felt like he was against me. Um, and as I wrestled with that, growing up into adulthood, I realized we need different images of the divine um, in order to transform us. And so... I, um, I've been really passionate <laughs> about not just talking about the fact that God's not a white man, but also finding images and even, to a certain extent, creating images myself. And that's part of the reason why I'm so drawn to art, um, because I think it can be such a tool for theology. And even though my birth, my background is in psychology and theology, I, I realized that without these images, you know, we're just talking. We can't start to imagine something else. And really what we need is we need our spiritual imaginations to be revised, enlarged, <laughs> become much more adventurous.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, reading your book um, opened my mind to that. And, and it's a couple parts I want to get into. And one is that mm-hmm. the, the, you said the imagery of God is rooted in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Like kind of explain mm-hmm. explain that part yeah. to the people.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you know, I actually was shocked because I read, um, an article about Arthur Ashe, the great tennis player, um, who's now deceased. And he was writing about how in the, in that when he was a little boy, you know, he grew up in a black church and saw a white Jesus every day and wondered, you know, is God on my side? Can God be on my side? If, if you can't relate to my experience as a little black boy. Um, and it's so interesting because that's such a great example of how white supremacy sort of has colonized all of our images of the divine. I mean, if you go around the world, you see all sorts of images of the divine in all sorts of religions that are black and brown and of the people are, you know, some of them are feminine. Some of them are gender nonconforming. Um, some of them are, are masculine. Into so much diversity, but those aren't the images that we typically have access to. You have to, you have to look really hard for them. Um, and I know back in 2018, I went on a 400-mile walk across central France in search of these images because there are these ancient Black Madonna statues that are, you know, many of them 1,500 years old, mm. and they're in these tiny mountain villages. And, you know, I chose to walk to them because i wanted to reclaim my sacred relationship to the earth which as a black woman has really been antagonized by slavery and domestic servitude and environmental racism but even if you didn't walk i mean i mean some of them you kind of almost had to walk to because they were so remote um some of them i didn't have i could i could have driven but a lot of them i mean that's how that's how hard it is to find some of these images is you have to, like, walk to them across mountains. Right,
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) And so, you know, I I was able to bring some of those images back and share them with my audience, but, you know, when when we talk about white supremacy, just completely dominating the conversation around who is divine, who is holy, who is worth listening to, it's so obvious that it's the more you conform to white manhood, and that includes, of course, LGBTQ, you know, sexuality, class, Um, all sorts of things, not just like gender and race, you know, the more you conform to that, the more you're, you're close to God. You're, you're considered valuable in our society. And that's who decides that that's how we decide who's on the Supreme court, whose voices are worth listening to, whose word is worth trusting. um, Whose academic work is most valuable. (laughs) Whose art should get shown in the most prestigious you know, events and galleries. Um, you know, if a white man's not doing it, it's not valuable in our society. And right. I think that connects to our image of God. You know, so so you see black folks, if, if black folks are doing art that approximates what, approximate what white men are doing, then all of a sudden it's good.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it's acceptable. Um, yeah. Especially when and, you... And
0: valuable, yeah, right?
1: And there you valuable. Go. Yeah. You, and you talk... about. You talk a mm-hmm. lot about um, God's social location, right? And how mm-hmm, uh, exactly. it separates mm-hmm. us from that because you already have created a tier of people that are closer to God than you are. And so how can totally. you see yourself mm-hmm. in, in in that kind of God? This you, you call it white male God, one word, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you think about mm-hmm. how that affects us to think about the person that is above you is not of you mm-hmm. doesn't look like you mm-hmm. and kind of it goes mm-hmm. from there it's kind of it pl- it gets rooted in your brain already
0: yeah and in, in mm-hmm.
1: the way yeah. you conceive of divinity
0: yeah and you start to wonder am i safe right like right. like arthur ashton would was a little boy can i trust this god does this god actually have my best interest at heart and you know i it, it's not that it's not that everyone needs to believe in God. Like I actually think this is a conversation that's bigger than religious belief, um, because really the heart of that question is: Can I trust God? Is or am I safe with this God? Is really about the, the deeper question: Is am I safe?
2: Mm, yeah. Do I
0: trust that the universe is on my side? Do I trust that you know hope is possible? Right. And so whether, whether we conform to a specific religious belief or not, it's, it's the broader idea that, um, is, is the way that I show up in this world and all my glory and all my, the fullness of my identity, is that going to be received? Is that going to be nurtured? Is that going to be affirmed? Um, and those are questions that we've always been asking as black people. And I think especially now with what's going on in the resurgence of, um, of Black Lives Matter, you know, right. uh, another, yeah. another iteration of it. This question, will it ever be safe for us? Will we ever be human? Will we ever fully be seen as human? Right. And I think that really gets to the heart of how we see God or how we see what's holy and valuable in our society.
1: Yeah. in in a lot of my work, I ask the question about um, what do you do when there is no acceptable evidence of your humanity? Right. Totally. To, to To the mm-hmm. dominant culture, not to yourself, because you know it, you feel mm-hmm. it, you see it. Um, but it, you mm-hmm. know, it's not recognized. Like you, you know, how many, mm-hmm. how many, yeah. um, rounds of voter suppression do we need? How many, um, you know, people mm-hmm. have to die by the police, like all these other issues that, come from, exactly, yeah. that mm-hmm. come from this, mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. idea that there is no acceptable evidence because if they were, we had a president, right. we mm-hmm. had inventors, we have doctors, we have lawyers, mm-hmm. we have the, some of the best in the world mm-hmm. and on TV, on radio, like anywhere, everywhere you look. There is black achievement and if that's not enough, mm-hmm. now where do you go to feel whole?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's all and I think I think for so long, you know, and I come out of this, I come out of this too, because my, my parents are middle class, upwardly mobile baby boomers. Right. And so so much of it was about assimilation. So much of it was about if we just become the talented tent. Um, but that doesn't actually transform that doesn't, just becoming, an, an, like, a, you know, ex, black excellence or something like that, you know, that doesn't actually change, that doesn't shift at all whether people see black people as human, Right. There's actually really interesting social psychology work on how people like Colin Powell, Michael Jordan, um, Oprah Winfrey, people that we would say, you know, hashtag black excellence, they're actually perceived as less black. Mm than other black people. right? So it seems that the perception of what is actually black doesn't change, no matter what's going on with a certain number of sort of upper echelon black people. And so really it's not so much like, can we strive to catch up with white male God? The question is, can we just let go of the concept of white male God and start to see the divine in ourselves? And then how will that transform our society right and because we can't play that game we can never be like white male no god and white male no god will never want us will never see us as human we'll never be he'll always be disgusted by us because that's how he is <laughs> 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 you know yeah. white 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 to- toxic white masculinity will always be disgusted by black blackness
1: right and A- i think we'll form. be
0: especially disgusted by black femininity <laughs> yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. that's true
0: it's so it's, it's, a, it's easily threatened and, and so it can't handle beauty it can't handle, handle truth I mean there's so much beauty and truth that just emanates from blackness Oh just yeah, just by being who we are that's why everybody wants to be us
1: yeah that's for because sure <laughs> there's
0: so much beauty and truth like we just, we just exude it we don't even try you know it's just in us
1: yeah it's, it's a natural thing it's just in us divinity yeah mm-hmm. there you go it's
0: just in
1: us yeah that gets to what um when we started the conversation thinking about um what the visualization of god can be and how mm-hmm. once you change the visualization mm-hmm. how much that can change your relationship to god to the world uh into uh this kind of kind of sacred um femininity yeah, um i think I think is the best word for it.
0: Well now I can see. I mean it's so interesting because I remember so the Wonder Woman came out a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Um, it was kind of the first female superhero movie. And it was a white woman, right? And actually the roles that black women were given were totally problematic. They were like the <laughs> and the, the yeah. Um but still As a woman, I remember walking out of that and being like, whoa, this is how guys feel after seeing a superhero movie. (laughs) I'm like, I feel like I could take on anything just to see a superhero who, in some ways, I identified with. Right. Not on race, but on gender. And just how fierce and empowered... I was like, wow. And then, you know, six months later, I went and walked all over France to visit 18 of the ancient Black Madonnas and to see these super dark, thick side, powerful women who are divine. I would—I mean, it transformed me. I came back, I quit my job at Duke. <laughs> I left my <laughs> husband, <laughs> you know? like I was like... I'm not today colonizer, not anymore. <laughs> I mean, just how much it changed, how much being, seeing myself in the divine helped me to, to recognize that I'm divine too and I deserve everything, everything. Right. I deserve everything too. I deserve all of the goodness, all of the wisdom, all of the love. I don't have to skimp. I don't have to beg. I don't have to contort myself into something that society is going to want, academia is going to want. You know, I just, I can actually be me. And I can trust that if I step into who I fully am, that abundance will catch me. Because when you start to believe that God is a black woman, you can start to believe that God actually is on your side. Which I don't think Arthur Ashe ever got to, ever got to, you know, Mm, like that, the answer to that question, you know, I don't know, but it's like, now I know, okay, I can quit my job in academia, my job at Duke with security, prestige, all the things I can quit that. And I can trust that she has my back because for the first time in my life, I believe in a God that's not against me. I believe in a God who actually walks on this earth as a black woman and understands all that I'm dealing with, all the family stuff that middle-class Black women deal with and supporting family and being the rock and being the provider and the caregiver, all the ways in which I'm humanized in my workspace, all the ways in which I don't see images of myself in society, she did that. And I saw that on the Black Nevada Program. I saw that one of the black Madonnas in Mon, in Muns, France, which is a teeny tiny town um, in, in kind of south, south Central France. She's under, there's a huge banner uh, written above her from the song of Solomon um, uh, in the Bible where it says, I am black, but I am beautiful. And she's been under that banner for like hundreds of years. Wow. And that's actually a racist, that's actually a racist um, translation of the actual text. Oh really? In the Hebrew, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, in the in the like um, colonial period, they changed it to justify anti-blackness. Mm. Really, it's I am black and I am beautiful. That's the original text. Mm, yeah, I am black and I am beautiful, but they changed it to I am black but I am beautiful.
2: Mm. Big difference, yeah, big difference. My
0: blackness, huge difference, huge difference. And so it was interesting to to go visit this particular black Madonna who stands so tall and so proud under this banner that is literally defaming her. And she's actually known she's called Our Lady of the Fountain because the best walk in town looks at her fountain. Mm. And so she's, it's like, when I went to see her and she's super dark skinned, you know, like she's just this like fierce, blackity black,
2: black Madonna, you know, <laughs> and
0: she, and it was just so powerful to see it. She's like, yeah, I, I see that. I see what they're saying about me. It's not true. I still offer the best water in town. Come, come flow with me. I'm offering oh, yeah, you love everything yeah. you need, despite, despite what's going on around us, despite what they're saying. They could paint all the banners they want, but I can offer you something that, that's irreplaceable and will help you get through this because I get it. They're calling me beautiful for a Black woman too, mm. which I heard all the time, you know, growing up. Oh, you're so pretty for a Black girl. High school, college. And, it's, and I was like, yes, yeah, she gets that. They called her that too, but she knows the truth. Offering the living water that can help me find my truth right this is powerful
1: yeah yes yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's super powerful too, yeah
0: right i mean like these these statues and these statues they're art i mean they're just ornate they're gorgeous i mean the people who carved them you can tell it was done with so much love and just so much devotion and it's like yeah this is yeah it's just so powerful and of course like you know there's so many artists now who are who are working with divine, you know, female black divine images like Harmonio Rosales and, um, you know, Iris Victor and, you know, some of these others who are, and then some blacks, you know, some black artists too. Um, of course, like um, Patrick, is it Doher or, yeah. or I, I can't I don't remember how to pronounce his name. Yeah, I mean, so there are all these people who are working with divinity and blackness um,
1: right now too, which is really powerful. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And in your book, um, mm-hmm. and our, I gave the wrong name for your book, it was Christ Our Black Mother Speaks, is the name of your book. Uh, in the pref, in the preface, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you write, our conditioning has taught us to automatically perceive femininity as untrustworthy and blackness as dirty. So black femininity mm-hmm. is perceived as holy, unholy. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so juxtapose mm-hmm. that um, piece of it with with these like people that were actually carving images of Black Madonna, and the people that are doing yeah, it now right. reimagining like an art history almost, right? Um, talk about totally, talk about that.
0: yeah, reclaiming. Yeah, I mean, it's just I mean the stereotype. I mean, what's so interesting about being a Black woman? You know, Malcolm X said it. He said, you know, Black women's most the, the Black woman is the most disrespected woman in America. And you know, I think that intersection of blackness and femininity, or blackness and womanhood, is just so. Um, so violent um, in the United States. It shouldn't have to be because it's actually beautiful and yeah. divine. Yeah. But, you know, um, women, women, you know, go dating back to Eve, women are perceived as untrustworthy, deceitful, um, weak. Um, don't follow women. Women can't be spiritual leaders. Women can't lead a household. Women can't lead a Fortune 500 company, you know. Um, and then black people are seen as dirty, lazy, um, incompetent. You know, and so when you you see black women, of course, it's like, well, yeah, you're, like, untruthworthy and dirty. And you see that in all the stereotypes about black women. You know, we're super licentious, and we're we're cunning, and, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're sapphire. We're gonna just, like, curse you out if you don't give us what we want. And, you know, just sort of this out of control, you know, and by control, I mean, white male gods definition of control, which is colonial. (laughs) Um, But... You know, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting to see this kind of like reclaiming of, um, we, we are holy, we are divine. Um, and I, you know, the vast majority of society still obviously doesn't believe that. I was speaking at Cambridge University this time last year, and I gave a talk where I just really heavily critiqued, um, a scholar who's deceased, but, um, in this particular college in Cambridge, um, was very, uh, they, they adore him. He's like one of those um, academics, like celebrity academics where people just think he was the best. Right, yeah. Um, and I came and just basically just exposed how racist and problematic he was. He did a lot of work in India, so as a British man, so just problematic, right? I yeah. mean, just in the, in the 20th century. I mean, it's obvious to anyone who's not, who doesn't worship him, that this guy was problematic. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I gave this lecture, you know, and then I we start the Q&R, that question and response time and the director of the institution that brought me in at Cambridge, he stood up and said, I can't tell if you're sloppy or
2: mischievous.
0: He said sloppy or mischievous. I can't tell if you're sloppy. And it's almost like he said, I can't tell if you're black or female. <laughs> so sloppy is just the stereotype for black people and mischievous is just the stereotype for women. And I thought it was so powerful that just like locked and loaded on the tip of his tongue. Mm. He had this massage noir, right? This anti-black woman, this hatred of black women. Where he's like, I can't tell if you're sloppy or me because he didn't like my academic talk. Wow. And so it's like, you see these stereotypes are alive and well in that. And it was so easy for him in a public forum to just call to just sustain my blackness and my womanhood because he didn't like what I was doing because the man he had worshiped his whole career actually turned out to be racist, <laughs> 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 and I had all this data to suggest it, right? And, um, you know, and so it's just it's very, um, I mean, that's why it's just so important for us to be resisting, um, resisting these stereotypes because they land on us, you know, like we're not you know as much as as much as black women especially middle class black women like myself like to think of ourselves as stoic and we can handle everything and I'm a strong black woman those things hurt and yeah. eventually they they chip away they chip away at your sense of self and you start to question oh my gosh am i am i sloppy did i do my work? oh no no actually i read 79 articles this guy wrote i did my work you know yeah. but it's just
2: yeah.
0: you start to question yourself um, and and it's really powerful and so that's why we need these images on the other side and books like the one i mean i wrote christ our black mother speaks because i needed to read christ our black mother Speaks. you know like we need more books that affirm yeah
1: and when i read it i I didn't Mm -hmm. know that i needed to read it too like because even (laughs) like in thinking about like the way you describe um let's see you got a, a quote that said god is our father and above all god is our mother like that kind of thing, and so mm-hmm. to me, that mm-hmm. visualization. Yeah, and that is, was actually
0: Pope John Paul II. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: you included different quotes <laughs> who is in the Actually, was,
0: not the most like. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't the most like. He's not like this liberation theologian you know. Yeah, but like, he didn't even know that. Even he, yeah. like, he said that.
1: Yeah, he didn't even know the truth he was speaking, <laughs> <laughs> and the way it was. Uh-huh,
0: exactly. And so I, did, I yeah, visualized that exactly. as a
1: black woman. For me, that's a black woman. That's my wife. That's my mother. That's mm-hmm. my the friends that I know. Yeah. And so. It's mm-hmm. hard to, to change how I feel about it. Hey, how y'all doing? This is Eugene with All Birds, the third, a future dead artist, and you're listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Oh, so we're going back to mm-hmm. um, you. Brought up Harmonia Rosales. Um, and you talk yeah. about the pushback and that you get, which is often violent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So when she oh, yeah. released her piece, yeah, too. when she released mm-hmm. her piece, the creation of mm-hmm. God, which reimagined everything mm-hmm. as not just black, but black and feminine, um, she mm-hmm. talked about how much it hurt her to get the death threats and the and the, all this other stuff oh, that totally. came mm-hmm. along with it. So yeah. why why is it mm-hmm. such a violent like pushback against? Even the, the thought of a visualization of inclusion.
0: Isn't that so interesting, right? Like, I think, you know, I've gotten a lot. I've got, I read an article in uh, my first, my first like real death threat was in 2015, 2015 or 20, I can't remember, right around 2015. And um, I wrote an article for um, a national Christian magazine that just uh, was about the fact that Jesus wasn't black. So I wasn't even addressing the gender piece, which actually people go even crazier about.
2: Um,
0: But, um, and I, and I was, I was like, wow, you know, the vitriolic response, the amount of hate mail and like certified FBI death threats simply for saying Jesus wasn't white. What does that say about how much our society desperately does not want to see the divinity in black people. Desperately. Does not want to see the divinity in black people. It's like a puke. You know what I mean? It's literally a vomit. It's like a reflexive, I you know. And, I mean, and it makes sense if you think about it because if you look at the way blackness and whiteness have been were created in this society you know thomas jefferson was the was the first person to actually talk about blackness and whiteness and he wrote about it in his book it's called uh, notes on the state of virginia which is a terrible book uh, but i read it because <laughs> you know diligent so basically he talks he, he yeah, I had to, you know, I mean, it's, it's basically the first time anyone talks. I mean, I think the concept of race in America was alive and well, but he's the first person who put it into w- published words. And he wrote this book was published uh, in 1781. So right after You know, he was probably working on it while he was writing the Declaration of Independence. Mm. Um, and so it, basically he's, he's talking about the state of Virginia. He's talking about all of the, all of the property in the state of Virginia. So he's talking about the Shenandoah Valley and he's talking about the Blue Ridge Mountains, you know, all this stuff. And then he gets to the human property, enslaved people. And he's here. You can see this guy dealing with his own cognitive dissonance. Um, so on the one hand, he's, he's been writing life and liberty for all. Every, everyone should have access to happiness and. You know, freedom and all sorts of things because he had just written the Declaration of Independence. Right. And on the other hand, he's trying to justify why uh, slavery exists. And so, and, and you know, he, he, at the height of his slaveholding capacity, he had about 800, 900 enslaved people, which is by any measure a massive plantation. I mean, right. the average plantation had one or two enslaved people. So, right. I mean, this guy was, slavery was like his jam, you know?
2: <laughs> and, yeah, he loved it. Um,
0: yeah. and he Totally. Yeah. And he's trying to, you know, he's trying to make sense of how can people have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and also be enslaved? Oh, it's because they're not quite people. And so in this book, you see him paragraph after paragraph explaining why black people are in less human than white people. He talks about facial features. He talks about intelligence. He talks about strength. And physical, you know, physical features in the body. And he's just going line by line by line, white versus black. And that is like, that is how our, our modern concept of race was born, as a justification for black subjugation. Right. There is no understanding of whiteness that... That, that, that doesn't include a subjugation of blackness. That's all whiteness is. is over and against blackness, which is why James Baldwin said, your whiteness requires that I be your Negro because your whiteness would cease to exist if I didn't exist as your Negro.
2: Mm.
0: And so when you see all people like Harmonia or like me or whoever saying, actually, we're divine too. <laughs> Here, whiteness starts to disintegrate. And so they start to disintegrate and they fall apart. And so they lash out because what does whiteness do when it needs to do something? It's violent. Whiteness in action is violent. So when white people start doing things, they're violent. And that's just the way it is because Mm. of the way that whiteness and blackness were born together. You know? Right whiteness has always been, it doesn't have an identity separate from being over and against blackness. It doesn't have a positive identity. Now it's possible that that could form, but no one's done. I don't, as far as I know, no one's really done that work, you know, and the historical milieu is so great. So people just flip out and then you start to see wow, these are deeply ingrained values. Yeah. And attachments.
1: Yeah. And in, in the book, you talk about in, the, yeah. um, there's a woman that was making uh, these burnt um, black Madonnas, black mothers. Bro, oh man, yeah! Right? And oh
0: totally right. Yeah, and so <laughs>
1: that kind of same thing where the the priest came and saw it and told her that you know no, this is not what it looked mm-hmm. like. Like it has like skin of porcelain. Totally. And, and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, tell that story oh, totally. that, so so people know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great story. Um, by Clarissa Pinkola Essence who um, wrote a great book about the Black Madonna called um, Untie the Strong Woman, which I recommend. Um, and she, she's a Latinx woman who's older, you know, like she's probably in her 80s now, but she, she's from an immigrant family. They were very poor. Um, and uh, they, her grandmother, Katarine, uh, would often um, have like multiple fires going and uh, because they, you know, they were, they were poor, they, they needed fires to wash clothes, they needed fires to cook, they needed fires, you know, to, to bathe. And so there were always fires going in their home. And um, at the end of the day, Catherine, who was deeply devoted to the Black Madonna, um, at, they're, they're, you know, from a Catholic tradition, this family. Uh, every night she would sift through the, the burnt embers, the burnt pieces of wood, and look for anything that potentially looks like um, a feminine form, you know, just as um, this practice of looking for God in her life. And so, you know, most days she wouldn't find any pieces of wood that looks like a black Madonna, but every once in a while she would find a piece of wood that, you know, looks like a black Madonna. So she would take it out and cherish it. And she had like a little collection of these burnt pieces of wood that looked like black Madonna. And when and she would find one, she'd say, "See, she's here with us. She's here with us.
2: Well, you
0: know, she came today. She's present. She's present in the fire. She's," And so you know, one day the well, every uh, when Chris, we Estes, tells the story, she mentions that this white priest, um, who go, you know, who was in charge of their Catholic parish, he would come by every Sunday. He would just happen to come by on Sundays when the when the meal was the best meal of the week, and then he would <laughs> eat with them, <laughs> which is so shady. Yeah. But anyways.
2: Um,
0: and when he would come over, Katarina would say, look, you know, look at our black Madonna. She's here with us. And he, and he would poo-poo her and he'd say, that's not the Madonna. The Madonna's white with porcelain skin. I don't know who that is, but that's not the Madonna. Mm. And it's like, wow, this, these like socioeconomically oppressed immigrant people who are just struggling to make it through their life have found a source of hope and you need to put it down.
1: Mm, need to correct them yeah to correct them and make sure they know that
0: exactly exactly you know and so i was just so moved by that story a because you can just see how powerful white patriarchy is it always has to be in control it always has to have the final say it's petulant right
2: usually
1: yeah petulant Um, that's good for her but
0: then all yeah petulant right but then also it's so powerful, that story, Just her practice of looking for the divine in her life. is That's so powerful to me because, you know, when all I knew was a white male no God, I wasn't even looking for the divine. I couldn't hope. I couldn't possibly think that God would be with me because God was against me. But as my theology has, has shifted, I'm like, oh. I yeah, can. I can expect some things. I can expect some support. I can expect some wisdom, and I love that she was able to um to see that you know, and it was so interesting when I was walking plantations to write the the book "Christ Our Black Mother Speaks," which is a book that I wrote while I was walking plantations in Durham where I was living at the time, um, I saw a burnt piece of wood that looks just like a black yeah lion. yeah I took yeah a picture of yeah, it. Yeah, you it showed her the a picture. Book. You know, it's pretty. Um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, and so. Um, just even being in that place where you can be looking for evidence and it doesn't have to be obviously I mean it's very Catholic of course to like be looking for you know a burnt piece of toast that looks like Jesus <laughs> or something like that but we don't, we don't have to do it that way it could just be you know one of my black girlfriends calls me at just the right time right when I needed someone to right. talk to and it's like you know what that's, that's her looking out for me and- that's her looking out for me or a really a beautiful dream you know, it doesn't have to be this, like, super religious
1: <laughs> Yeah. And so theo- in the yeah. in theology, what is, what is it that is that um, need for us to look for divinity um, that we can relate to? Like, is that kind of ingrained in yeah, who we are yeah. as human beings? Like, where does that come from?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. Yeah, I think it's a social psychological question, too, you know, because we tend to we tend to be drawn to the familiar. We tend mm, to be drawn right. to the relatable. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of the idea of like, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Um, it's, it's why churches and neighborhoods are so segregated, you know, because people tend, I mean, obviously there's like systemic things like red lighting and stuff like that, but also people are drawn to each other. You know, we want to be around people who are like us. Um, and so it, I think that's, that's part of it. That, um, that, that we're looking for um, a, a divine who can who can relate to us. But also, I think um, there's some really early sociology theories, um, and one of them is called the looking glass self. And the idea is that um, our sense of our sense of ourselves is shaped by all the people around us. And um, Cooley, who's one of the early sociologists, said you have as many social selves as there are people whose um, opinion you value. Mm-hmm. So kind of this idea that, that we aren't we aren't shaped in a bubble, you know, like we learn about ourselves based on how people treat us. Right. Which is why, you know, which is why there's a lot of learned helplessness in, like, low-income Black communities. Because teachers have taught kids, well, you can't do it. You can't, you can't learn the math problem. You can't overcome this challenge in your life. And so people learn to be helpless. Um, and you see a lot of, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, like, um, African nations that were, you know, under colonization for a really long time and up until very recently. And you can see it in the way that people carry themselves because they've been shaped by this system. And so I think part of the reason why we're, we're looking for a divine to, to, to relate to that is because we want to we wanna, we wanna see a better version of ourselves. Right. Which is really just the truest version. We want to return to our true selves, essentially. I guess that's what it feels like to me. It feels like a journey home.
1: Right. And do you think about an yeah. artist like Lena Iris Victor, who you mentioned before, um, mm-hmm. and uh, one of her yeah. pieces called material prima too uh you posted it on your your ig the other day like it it uh, it, mm-hmm. it shows me this this want to talk about the need to present yourself but also the need to uplift um yourself mm-hmm. and your people the same way like presenting herself mm-hmm. as this yeah. um, um eth- ethereal god-like um divine mm-hmm. feminine mother like all all of those mm-hmm. words you used to describe them mm-hmm. she presents herself as that to the viewer and mm-hmm. it becomes about your, how you interact yeah. with the piece as you see it, because the size is so massive that when you get in front of these pieces, it's, it's, yeah. o- it's overwhelming um, to you and your body. Yeah. And so you, it brings you into mm-hmm. another reality where she exists as this guy. And now you can kind of um, see how you relate to it in that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Totally. And you know, what's so beautiful is um, our bodies, are constantly healing themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like we sleep at night and it's regenerative. You know, there's so many things that our bodies do, whether it's generating saliva or um, generating more white blood cells or just brain plasticity, you know, as our, our brain responds to, to, to the challenges that we're facing. Like everything about us is for our own feelings. And so much of it, we don't even notice, like the breath, you know, the breath is constantly working for us, right? constantly regenerating, constantly resourcing us. And we don't even notice. And I think our souls are like that too. You know, like we're always, we're always doing what we can to heal and to protect ourselves, which is why we have some of the trauma responses that we have, because that's, at the moment was the best way to protect ourselves that we knew of, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of this, um, impulse to see ourselves as divine is a way that we're trying to heal ourselves. It's like, we know we're so far from home. We're so far from home. I mean, and I feel that in my body, um, I'm so far from West Africa and maybe I can't really go back there in the sense of like living there and like really feeling like, my people never left, you know, right. but I can do, but I can feel my soul reaching out for it and doing what it can to reclaim what has been lost. And that's like a really powerful process that I think we're innately designed to do and there's so many things in society that are preventing us from doing capitalism
2: (laughs) (laughs) all these things from from doing
0: that work right we get caught up in a rat race and we're like well I got to get tenure I got to keep my job or I got to pay these bills you know there's so many things that we that that keep us from from giving into that impulse but I think really at the heart of all of us is this impulse to go home whatever that looks like
1: right for
0: right.
1: me, it means finding myself in a divinity, you know um, right in your in your book you have With a that, oh no yeah it, go ahead. no, i was saying in your book, you have a line in pursuit of a new reality in which all people mm-hmm. have an empower, empowered seat at the table. there is no longer us and them but simply us, so it's it's about mm-hmm. connecting too, like you talk about how mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the black mother is. Loving and inviting And brings mm-hmm. you into mm-hmm. Herself to take care of you mm-hmm. and so I, I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what, you, what you're talking about
0: Yeah And there's room for everyone You know, there's room for everyone She's the opposite of white male god She's not, she doesn't She doesn't exclude anyone Now she has standards You can't come up You can't come up in her space all colonial <laughs> 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 But it's but if you're willing to do the work, she accepts everyone, you know, like her, her love, her, her acceptance is unconditional, which isn't the same thing as, as, uh, being a doormat.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I yeah, mean, cause at the end of the day, at the end of the day, she's a black woman.
2: <laughs> so, so don't
0: mess <laughs> with her. But,
2: <laughs>
0: but you're welcome. If you can act right, you're welcome at the table you know, and I think that's really beautiful because that's very different than white male God. White male God, it's like no matter how much you contort yourself, no matter how many hoops you drum through, no matter whether you're the talented 10th, the talented, you know, 100th, it doesn't matter. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to belong. I'll never make a place for you. You'll kill yourself trying to get a place. Mm. Whereas Christ our Black Mother is like, you know, there's a place for you. Now, just so you know, this is an anti-racist, feminist, LGBTQ inclusive and affirming space. So get it together. (laughs) We know who we're centering here. If if black trans women are happy here, I'm not happy here, you know, but everyone's welcome. There's room for all of us. She's the mother of us all. Yeah. And if we're willing to turn towards her, she's not going to, she's not whipping us. She's, she's not, she's not petulant.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. And, um, Petty, maybe.
0: Petty, maybe sometimes, <laughs> but not petulant.
1: <laughs> but in you know, a in a fun in a fun good way. way, yeah. In a fun
0: <laughs> way. Oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. My favorite Black Madonna, which I I don't know if you saw on my on my IG, but I I actually asked a a, a young Black artist, she's like twenty one or something, to re envision her. But my favorite Black Madonna, I call her um, Our Lady of the side Eye,
2: and there's the, <laughs> the statue of her
0: is from from the eleventh century, right? So it's amazing, um, and. She's, she's literally a black Madonna giving side eye to a white priest who's kneeling in front of her. And she's just like, not today, colonizer. Just not today. And it's hilarious. And it's appalling. And it's, you know, yeah. it's petty. But she's just like, no, like, I don't work for you. You work for me. Um, and it's, it's awesome, you know? And it's like, that, that, that black Madonna is from the 11th century. Her statue has been there since the 11th century. Mm. She's amazing, <laughs> and literally, in the, attached to the statue is this white priest. It's part of the statue. Right? <laughs> she is the Black Madonna of the side eye. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that is, and so it's like, yeah, she's petty. You have to show up right, or else she's going to give you side eye. But that's because she loves us, and she wants our healing. You know? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm not going to stand for that.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's and,
0: colonial. You can do better be
1: better <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the last the last thing as we wrap yeah. up I'm, i'll say about um <laughs> one of the one of the key point, one of the most beautiful points in in the book where you talked about um the black mother being on the cross and having um uh, being mm. crucified with the two criminals beside her and you said that uh this is a black mm. mother you said she knows exactly who is on the cross with her and as a victim of state sanctioned mm-hmm. violence herself surely she sees that this criminal in quotes isn't isn't a criminal at all he's a beautiful black boy whose mm-hmm. joy has been extinguished by all the forces of his anti-black society that's it right there mm-hmm. like that that, that nailed mm-hmm. it on the head mm-hmm.
0: yeah 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 you know um that the the plantation i was walking was adjacent to the the federal prison in in the Durham area and I, I taught at that federal prison. I taught my Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, my Malcolm X class there. So I, I, I know a lot of the guys on the inside. And um, I couldn't not, I, you know, that week while I was walking the plantation, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get them out of my head. And especially just how much, again, you know, going back into this, like we're shaped by our society, how much those guys, you know, would argue with me when I'm like, yeah, you know, you actually don't deserve to be in here. And they're mm. like, yeah, I did it. You know, just like, just very much internalized oppression um and and so i think it's so powerful to envision christ our black mother on the cross next to these two so-called criminals just being like i, I get it y'all are up here getting crucified for a non-violent crime you know what I mean? <laughs> right
2: right <laughs> you
0: you know it's like, you, like this is ridiculous so maybe you sold some drugs you don't deserve to be crucified <laughs> you know what I mean? right <laughs> Um, and just you know, just recognizing that you know she has a sociological imagination. You know, she she understands the, the ways in which society impacts us, and she she isn't interested in our punitive system. That's not that's not the truth to her. She understands, like like black women do. We understand. I mean, I don't know. I don't know a single black woman who's not personally touched by the criminal justice system. Right. Um, and so that's like a given for us. You know, it's not It's not a book. The New Jim Crow's not a book. It's my cousin.
1: Right. It's my uncle. Right. You've seen it so um, many times before.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, and so that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, and I know we need to wrap up, but that's, when you get me talking about her, it's hard to shut up. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, Like she That's that's what I mean when I'm like Can I start to believe that God is on my side You know when I start to envision Imagine This God who understands That the New Jim Crow Is not an intellectual book to read But is is Real life And is personally burned by it Personally crucified by it Then I can start to actually believe That my justice efforts are supported by the universe. Right. Otherwise I'm just hopeless and really disempowered. And then if, if I do justice work, it's going to be out of a place of fear out of like self-righteousness as opposed to this like deep, you know, deep love that she offers, which is like everyone's welcome at my table. I have enough love power, wisdom, everything you need. I'm right here. I am our lady of the fountain. I have the best water in town. Come drink of it. Mm. And then go out and march and write and draw and paint and whatever your justice work looks like. Go do it. But do it from having, having been at my fountain, having been at my table, knowing that you're affirmed and you're loved and you're divine and your impulses are good your cause is righteous and in the end you will win the universe does the arc of the universe does bend towards justice like mlk says it does but it's hard to connect with that flow if we don't have an image of the divine right. that we can relate to right
1: it, and that's what art know. can do
0: that's what art can do, and it's so powerful. And yeah, I mean, we hardly got to talk about art, and I love art. <laughs> so maybe I can come back another time and oh, talk you, you more can, about Oh, you can definitely art. come back so any time. There's so many pieces. and Yeah, I mean, there's so many specific pieces that speak to me, and there's so many great artists that I think are just doing work that, really fuels me and you know i can't you know i I, my PhD is in social psychology i'm an empiricist you know like i'm all about data and so it's been really healing for me to connect with art and realize that um i have to be in partnership with artists you know and i think my work has become more artistic like the christ our black mother speaks book
1: oh yeah that's a beautiful book
0: is a type type of art yeah you know there's all this energy and there's photography and where i really tried to make the idea come alive for people not just with words
1: you know oh for so, sure yeah. that visualization is is, yeah. is the biggest part of it
0: totally yeah i yeah. agree
1: for sure <laughs> and thank you yeah we definitely got to bring you back this has been a great conversation you know i love it mm, This awesome. filled my soul for the thank day you. i appreciate it <laughs> i appreciate it oh, good.
0: well it's so it's such an honor for me to even just talk about it it, it, it is so regenerate um, regenerative and this nursing yeah so so thank
1: you for having me on that's it another episode of the studio noise podcast in the bag Big shout out to Christina Cleveland, Dr. Christina Cleveland. Make sure I get it right uh, for coming on the podcast and talking with us. Another great conversation. I love how we need to have more of these conversations. We'll be talking about like bigger issues and not just art, 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 but you know, art and some other stuff mixed in with it. So she was a great person to bring on. Like I told y'all she was super smart and tried to warn y'all, right? Make sure y'all go over to her website, ChristinaCleveland.com. And check out, she has a new book coming out on August 1st. She Who Cannot Be Shamed, Tamed, or Contained comes out August 1st. Uh, I can't wait to read that one. Uh, Go to the website. Make sure you check out the other book that this conversation is based on, uh, Christ Our Black Mother Speaks. I know y'all waiting so anxiously, like after this, what could we possibly do next? Well, we got another conversation for you next week with the one and only Mr. Kevin Sipp. Uh, he's over at the Mayor's, Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs. Uh, we talk about the history of Atlanta and kind of working with government agencies, all that good stuff. And we got a special guest host, too, and that's always something to look forward to. And in the meantime, between time, you need something to listen to while you're sitting in your studio, getting that work in, I, like I know you do. I say you listen to Leanne Lahabas, Le her new album. I've been waiting for this for five years. Matter of fact, me and my wife watched her in concert. Like she was in London performing. I was in home in the comfort of my own home in my bed watching her perform. And if this is the future of concerts, I will take it for sure. I definitely pay for that. Uh, it was amazing. So her new album, self-titled, you got to check it out. It's a great album. I love her voice. I can't say enough about Leanne Lahavas. Le uh, so make sure y'all check that out. It'll keep you company. Good vibes only. Good vibes only in the studio, uh, despite the madness. Like I said before, and so as always, much much appreciation and a big thank you to you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening, why don't you hit that subscribe button? Right. Why don't you go ahead and if you can write us a review, get us pumped up in the charts, tell two friends, let everybody know about the noise. If you want to shoot us a message, head over to our IG where you can see uh, posts. We highlight the guests on our show for that week. And we always doing this new thing, Black Art Weekend. I just post pictures of black artists all weekend long so you can enjoy and, and have a good old time. Keep yourself inspired. Go over to at Studio Noise podcast on Instagram. If you want to shoot us the email send it to studionoisepodcast at gmail.com and please take some time check out my co-host negris.supreme don't forget that dot Uh, she's on assignment but she's still doing big things congrats on the grants and all that good stuff girl and of course you can always holler at your boy at jbarberstudio on all your social medias to all my artists out there I'm gonna leave you with a quote and let that sit with you on your soul this is from the book Christ Our Black Mother Speaks says May we remember how deeply incubated we are in the holy mother. We, the children of the dark-skinned holy woman who is never afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark, y'all. Y'all, y'all gonna make some stuff. Get in that studio. Make some noise. Let them know you're here, baby. It's Studio Noise Podcast. We'll holler at you next week. Peace.